0: The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities.
1: Okay, we are here on our third installment of Chase Gunderson and Steve Farnsworth and, and uh, hopefully you've been able to enjoy the last couple of podcasts on on positive praise and and the five conversations and, and in this final podcast we want to make sure that we're just talking in general about turnover and I see all sorts of costs associated with turnover. Estimates as to what it costs for a nurse to turnover, and you know anything from ten thousand dollars to I've seen. I think Glassdoor estimated the cost at about forty-two thousand uh, dollars for the turnover of of, of a nurse. Um, but I sometimes feel like we probably don't believe those numbers because I, I feel like if we believe those numbers, we would. Attack turnover more seriously, and, and hopefully, that's what we're able to do here t- today. So, let's talk about turnover goals and, and how you get there. Chase, let's start with you.
0: Yeah,
2: first of all, I would just say I hate the word turnover. Okay, it sounds so
1: let's start negative. this podcast over then. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really
2: I hate the word turnover because it sounds so negative when really the highlights so a lot of the top highlights from our building over the last year are people leaving. Yeah.
1: yeah, have turned over. So, so negative turnover, positive turnover, yes. and maybe cherry turnovers. Those yes. are those are pretty good. So our goal
2: at our building is to have zero bad turnover, okay. which means I mean, everyone knows what bad turnover is. It's I would define it as when someone leaves your building to go work down the street for similar pay.
1: Or, if you have to let go of an employee, would you consider that bad turnover? Would you consider that bad because some people think that's good turnover because it's their choice when in reality, or they blame it on whoever hired them. Right.
2: I would say that's bad turnover. There are going to be situations where maybe it's not, but I would consider it bad turnover until I'm a hundred percent positive that it wasn't. I think that we make a lot of mistakes as managers that drive people away or cause them to be what we would call bad employees.
1: But I think why I say, and I think it's always bad turnover, because if your hiring process is flawed and and you have to make those changes, then then I'd consider it bad. Okay, so so, uh, you want to talk about good turnover or bad turnover here? So
2: bad turnover, terrible. We actually don't, I don't know if we've had any bad
1: turnover at our building this year, which is crazy. Did everybody hear that? Can you imagine not having any bad turnover in your operation this year? I mean,
2: people move and people go to school and we've actually, we've had, it's been kind of fun, we had a new acquisition and we've sent several people over in promotions to this other building and it's been really fun to see. So good turnover is what we really want. And we look at turnover and you see the percentage and we think the higher the percentage, the worse the number is, but that's not necessarily true. so it's not that simple, but I think anybody, if you're turn, if you're doing these things well, like you can get down to thirty percent turnover. I would say.
1: So, so what are these things? I mean, what what? Uh, We've been talking
2: for about two hours <laughs> now,
1: <laughs> but the listener doesn't know that. <laughs> okay, <you> got it.
0: <laughs> Should we start all over? <laughs> no, I, You know, you mentioned something about onboarding. I think onboarding is key. One of the key elements too. I mean, it's foundational. Uh, from from that Gallup study, ten percent of employees say that their company does a good job onboarding. I mean, that's that's pretty frightening. Mm-hmm. One out of ten employees said they had a positive experience with with onboarding, mm-hmm. and I think that one of our objectives with our rally cry in terms of of customer second is ED and DON involvement in onboarding. Oftentimes, we we hire the employee, and what happens? We Shuttle them on down the line to whoever's in charge of the onboarding class. And the ED goes in at the very end for 10 minutes and talks about Caplico and you know, waves the Caplico wand and off we go. And that's supposed I've to. Never
1: see them again. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think that's one component that, that oftentimes we overlook and underestimate the power. After all, I mean, it's the first impression they have of us.
2: I also think as far as turnover goes, our goal should never be 0% turnover. Why is that? Well, studies have found that actually organizations perform better with 75 to 99% retention mm-hmm. because they benefit from the positive friction created by new members of the team.
1: Yeah.
2: It's kind of interesting, we, we have that at our in our building where someone's left and someone has come in and we thought we've done really well with something. And then they come in and point out all of the weaknesses, and it feels bad. And we're trying to fix it, and we feel like things are getting so, are so much worse than they were before. But then the people on, on, outside of that room will talk about how much better it's getting.
1: Yeah. What, what about the employee that's really talented in what they do, but, but um, a little bit of a cancer to the culture?
0: It's... <laughs> Why yeah, are you laughing? We, is we, that me? There's not. There's a lot of those <laughs> out there. <There's> so <laughs> many. But I
1: mean, you kind of feel They're like, a as a leader, you you almost are held hostage by them because of their talent, because of their skills that you need. Like,
0: do you? It, it's is, a crunch, so, I think. So do uh, you keep them? No. Do you,
1: you? You unequivocally don't.
2: Uh, of course. So we. I read a book called The "Power of the Other." I think you read it too, and it says that if somebody is divisive. That it's not worth keeping them no matter what good they bring Hmm. and that they say that and a negative person causes way more damage than a superstar can bring to the team
1: i mean i bet every leader listening to this podcast right now is can think of somebody on their team that that where this is the scenario
0: well there's safety I, i think there's comfort and safety in an individual that say has been in the industry for a long period of time knows the ins and outs knows the history of the building Survey process has the numbers. There, there's safety there. You don't need to worry about developing something.
1: And I think we should make sure that we understand too that this per, if this isn't the person that disagrees with the group. I mean that that cognitive friction is good, right? I mean, if you listen to my uh, podcast on cognitive diversity, I point out that teams that uh, that they did a study that where they they found that. A team of mediocre individuals that disagree with each other will always come up with more better ideas than the team of geniuses that are all aligned in their thinking. So that that cognitive friction is really valuable to the team. That's not antithetical to our culture, right? That is that is actually a part of our culture. We're talking about the people that, that uh, you know, moaning and groaning and and, and maybe they're, uh, they're uh, hurtful and, and not practicing love one another. They're not good at holding people accountable. They're not good at being held accountable. Those are the things that I mean contrary to our culture. And a lot of the times it would almost be
2: better if they would just do that to your face. Instead, they're the people that y- you talk about the meeting after the meeting where after you have it, that's when they go to everyone else and just mm-hmm. oh, that's that's
0: cause so problems. Awesome device. But, you know, I've asked this question a lot to to leaders in our market, what what type of employee is more powerful, a negative employee or a positive employee? And it's interesting, that some of the feedback that you get, almost nine times out of 10, the first response is, well, the, the negative employee. Yeah. And, and there's a study called the Hidden 31 that shares that 31% of, of employees possess a positive mindset mindset and are expressive of that mindset. What does that mean? Meaning they have an optimistic mindset, they wake up during the day, they want to have a great day, and they express that mindset with other people around them. Mm -hmm. The problem is only 31% do that. So where does that leave us? Mm -hmm. All of the others that possess a negative mindset and are vocal about that mindset. So the question of which one's more powerful, it's not good, you know the positive or the negative one, it's the employee that is more expressive of their mindset is the powerful employee.
1: so they' are those that influence more than they are influenced, right? I mean, that's the question. We're all influencers right. and we're all influencees uh and and we need to make sure that we're influ can, can we jump over to exiting employees and this Absolutely. idea of how we exit our employees steve let me let me go to you on that
0: mm-hmm. yeah i I think this is something we overlook many times Uh, we've talked about good and bad turnover we've talked about those employees that naturally we say to ourselves oh man good riddance finally you're out of here I don't want to spend another minute with this individual they've caused so much trouble and frustration in the building in this generation where we're so connected there there is tremendous amounts of risk of not exiting well with an employee uh, just due to the fact that if we don't exit well, how connected we are with, with people. Yeah. They can tell their story, however they're going to tell it unfiltered, and and, and we're not going to have any influence over that. So I, I think there's three concepts we need to be aware of when we're exiting with an employee. Number one, that the employee feels heard. Uh, Chase and I have talked about this, that... that
1: heard not humored right I mean that there's a difference right not not the smiling and nodding but actually listening to actually
0: listen to that's a good point click and and Chase and I've talked about this where experts have said that that before somebody can feel better about the way that they're feeling about an issue or an experience that they're having that they need to get the negativity out
2: Would you rather have them get it out with you? With you or
0: on social media or on Yelp or wherever else, you know, the other avenues that we have. And so it's it's imperative that you try to sit down with the employee. And I would encourage you as a leader to do a lot more listening with the intent to listen, Mm -hmm. not with the intent to argue, debate, or even respond back to that person. And I think the second thing is is that, that we emphasize to the employee, and, and I think Chase does a really good job on this, is the employee leaves feeling proud of their contribution. Even if you're firing them? I, I think you can. I think you can do that, don't you? In almost
2: every situation. Yeah, I think you can. There might be a few really ugly scenarios, but...
1: There's something they added that is good. And we almost feel like because we are terminating them, we almost can't talk about those things. I just think that's wrong. I think it's the last CNA we out. terminated,
2: she gave me and Jeremy, my dear, a big hug as
0: she walked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's good. to your point, Clay, everybody makes a contribution at some point uh, in, in their in their time with us. We need to make that meaningful. That does require an effort, especially when there's emotions involved. If something severe has happened that has caused emotion or harm, heaven forbid, it, it goes back to training your mind on what to look for, and it can be difficult to find some of that positivity and share that with them. You know, I, I, sorry to
2: cut in on you, but I no, think no. Uh, a lot of times when someone leaves, we're not putting, them first and we're thinking so much about ourselves and we're thinking of our department and how we're mm-hmm. going to staff and who's going to work the an option and even who in some cases work. how
1: uncomfortable we are in the conversation not thinking about how hard this is for them
2: and so we let them leave feeling that they let us down feeling yeah. guilty feeling that they've put us in this really tough situation and it's the opposite of what we want we really want them to leave knowing
0: how much we appreciate everything that they did. Well, and you'll get honest feedback. I, I have in my experience. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I think the third thing that can happen if done right, Clay, is creating a brand ambassador. That employee leaves, I don't know if um, confused mm-hmm. is the right word. I mean, who leaves from, say, being terminated or, or resigning, experiencing such a positive experience with the leader of the building? Yeah. I mean, where do you see that? And, and I have seen an individual as I've sat across the desk with them and say, this is very unfortunate you're leaving and, you know, going through some of these things and then saying, do you need a personal recommendation from me? And I, I will write you a recommendation. And it, it's, it's funny. I know you've done this before as well. There, there's like a sense of confusion of like, who does that? Yeah. And, and there have been many, many times where in, in doing this right, an employee returns back because they left with a feeling.
1: But even if they don't, I think you guys are demonstrating the principle that and the proof. We care about this person as a person, not just as somebody that can benefit us as an employee, yeah. right? We will yes, do the right, right thing by this person no matter what. And that and that makes me think, Chase, about your, your experience with uh, Chase Bank. Uh, uh, can you share that? Are you willing to share that with us?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to share you know i was before i went and started working in idaho which has been almost six years which know, is crazy um it all happened i had zero intention of doing this for work and i went to college with steve and we took a few classes together our wives
0: were really good friends hospitality management yeah i think that was the beginning of what we're so passionate about all you know, this yeah
2: and it was kind of funny, we were friends, and Steve told me he was gonna go be an administrator in a nursing home. And I thought it was the most random thing I'd ever heard in my life.
1: Not something you grew up thinking you would do? Yep, and the last question I
2: asked him was, I wasn't gonna ask him, hey, how do I get on with that? Because I didn't, I mean, I thought it was
1: so weird. How do I get on that train? Yeah, I says that. Yeah, yeah, so
2: he was moving to east, back, clear back east. Anyway, a few years in, I was, Working, I worked for Chase Bank and I did a lot of different things from banker to, I did residential loans and I managed Chase, uh, Chase Bank branches. And the last job that I was going into, I actually trained for like three months straight, getting all of my investment licenses, things like that. I didn't interact with one person. It was the first private client bank in Salt Lake City. And they put a ton of time and money into me uh, going into this position. And I started at, the, at this bank and I was meeting a lot of their top, their wealthy investors or their wealthy clients.
1: So they have a lot invested in you. They put lot. a lot of time into it. And, and, and now is the time that Steve is talking to you and you yes. make a decision that you're going to change so it's careers kind of and not
0: caring about really what you had invested. <laughs> this
2: really wealthy Chinese Client comes in saying, I want to open up a a nursing home for Chinese people. So I call Steve and say, hey, how does this guy open up a nursing home? Mm -hmm. And Steve calls me back and says, you should come work with us. (laughs) And I'm thinking, no, I definitely should not go and work with you. And we just barely built a house. Um, Both of our families lived in Utah. Our oldest child has autism and he's nonverbal. And at this point in time was so hyper, you can't even believe it. And I'm thinking, why would I move to Idaho to go work with Steve in nursing homes when I was happy where I was, I was fairly happy where I was. And he convinced me to go work with him one day and I kind of saw what it was like and I really fell in love with it. And I fell in love with the fact that there was people there that was, you know, that really needed us. Mm-hmm. that weren't these wealthy people that everyone was wanting to help so So now you have to tell chase bank and you tell them and you well first i have to tell my wife okay and she says are you kidding me we're moving to idaho and i said well i haven't been offered any type of job (laughs) and steve saying it might be a good idea but yeah the job was offered and i wanted it bad and i told Uh goldie and I still can't believe she said yes because it was really a hard move for her.
1: Second time you were surprised she said yes in your lives, right? And you know.
2: Well, the first time wasn't the proposal, as easy, but right? okay. Yeah. yeah. So I have to go tell Chase Bank that I'm leaving. Uh huh. And this is, you know, a matter of just weeks before they're opening up this bank, and they would spent so much time on me. And so they were actually super nice about it, but then. We had a baby. Oh, I didn't even mention that. My wife was also nine months pregnant. (laughs) And so we have a baby born. And he was born with a pretty major heart defect called TAPVR, if anyone knows what that is. Um, And he had to be life blighted to primary children's. And this happened on September 22nd, and my last day at Chase Bank was September 26th. Mm. And we're at the hospital, they're doing echocardiograms and testing all the time and he has all these he also had an issue with his aorta that miraculously miraculously healed itself but when he was two days old he had to have open heart surgery and i remember he's in surgery he's in surgery for five or six hours and i have people questioning me are you sure you want to move your wife and your special needs child and this other child that just had open heart surgery two feet to Idaho where you have no support and I wanted to selfishly really bad but I did question you know is this a good move and I remember my manager at Chase Bank called me
1: your manager who you've just resigned your position from you're getting ready to move you put him in a tough situation okay
2: terrible situation
1: what did your manager say
2: so he calls me and he says Chase I heard what happened I'm so sorry um he said do me a favor write me an email and tell me your last day is actually 3 weeks in the future so we can pay you for another 3 weeks cover your benefits and you're not happy to just rush off to Idaho with this family that's really needing a little bit of time with family and
1: why why would they do that there's no benefit in for it's,
2: them it's customer second it's you build these relationships and you get vulnerable with each other and you really learn to love each other to the point where you'll do what's best for them, regardless of how it benefits you. And that's customer second. You don't do it because you're wanting them to react a certain way, or you're wanting...
1: You're trying to to manipulate them to get better results or something like that. It has nothing to do
2: with it. It just has to do with, we really care about you. We'll put you first until the last day of the...
1: So that's something you decided at your facility, we're going to do right by our employees, whether or not it benefits our facility. And they feel safe working there. They know that people are caring for them and so with that safety they're able to do their best job possible for you I mean so it does benefit you but it's not you've, you've made the decision it's not why you're going to do it so the benefits
2: are astronomical but they come because we don't expect them to come if that
1: makes sense it's ironic mm-hmm. yeah it's uh I, it's amazing to me. I, I do love that story from from the first time I heard that. It, it, it seems what it seems to be what leadership and self de- self deception is all about, getting out of the box towards others. And I I, I want to ask for another experience if you can. And it, it's it's about your your son Jax and and how he's influenced you to to see the world. If you'd be willing to talk about that too.
2: Yeah, you know, Jax is really the reason why I came to work here. I uh, Jax was born, cutest little baby you've ever seen, and you know how you take your kids to the doctor every so often and they say, yeah, they're doing good here, and they ask you a bunch of questions, you know, are they doing this, are they doing that? Up through a year, it was yes to every question, but then he went in, I think, at 16 months, and every question they asked was, no, he's not doing that, no, he's not making eye contact, no, he doesn't respond to his name, and... My, I go home one day and my wife's crying and she says, I think Jax has autism. And I say, no, he doesn't. And she's like, look at this list. And I remember vividly laying in bed, reading through this list and we're both just crying. Because it was like the most classic case of autism that there was. And from that moment on, he stopped talking. Like he would say a few words before them but he kind of stopped talking and he didn't say anything. probably two and a half years and he's going to all day preschool at three years old he's with speech therapists multiple times a week all these people are putting so much time and effort into trying to get anything out of him and they're getting nothing and I remember we were in our family room one day and Jax says apple and Goldie and I are looking at each other Wondering what in the world just happened, but he didn't stop the apple. He then said baby, and cookie, and dinosaur, all the way to z to zebra, and then zebra all the way back down in perfect Think order wouldn't down get to other a. Parents
1: incredibly excited, but you guys but were. We were just sobbing. <laughs> like, Going backwards is pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was,
2: I'd like to see one other kid do that. <laughs> or a no for no <laughs> that one either. That's smart. Um, but we're sitting there just sobbing. Thinking, we haven't heard him say a word in two and a half years. And now he said a word and we wondered, okay, what's going to happen from here? Is this word going to do anything? And it did. Because he learned that he could use words to get what he wanted. And to this day, Jax can ask for anything. It doesn't even matter what it is. If he says the word, he gets it. Ferrari. Ferrari. He gets it. Like really, I think we would probably buy it. I mean, it might be a toy one, but he'd for sure get some type of Ferrari. And the point is, is we give up on people sometimes, and we don't value some of the development and progress they make. But there is there's a really great book called The Compound Effect. And there is a true compound effect that as people start to change and develop, that the momentum, a fly like think of a flywheel, starts to move and takes them to where they need to go. And with Jacks, the compound effect we saw from him learning to say one word is we could have a relationship with him. He didn't have to be so frustrated. We had two more children, <laughs> which you know we would have if he hadn't been able to talk. And I think it's the same way with our employees. Gallup says that weaknesses never become strengths according to all their research. Hmm. And change takes an incredible amount of energy and fuel. And the fuel comes from positive praise and like working with them and trying so hard to help them get there. And we have to be patient and celebrate those small wins, the baby steps that people are making, knowing that those baby steps were incredibly hard to get and that they can take them a lot further, and that that momentum will take them to where they need to get to be to be in the great job that they want. If that makes sense.
1: So, do, do we give up on employees too too quickly? Is that I mean, is that the principle behind this? How, how would you How would you summarize this? What What am I supposed to get from this as a as a, a CEO of a facility?
2: I think. A- I, I do think we give up on people way too quickly, and I think that we we've talked about this. We focus on their weaknesses so much, and we think you can't do this, and so we just give up on them.
1: Yeah. Um. I think. I mean, because I've always believed that the key to happiness is progression. That 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 when people are progressing. They experience joy in their lives, and they become much more content. And and uh, you know these these opportunities for growth that that become so key. Steve, do you want to? Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about that? What what Gallup has discovered with that, as far as uh, as far I, as I, employee I, progression?
0: I think to your point, that question that you asked: Do we hold on to them too long? I, I think if an employee wants to grow. You know, there's a difference between growth, you know, naturally happening and an and employee wanting that. If they want it, I, I say we dig in and we figure out a way. Mm-hmm. But when they lose that spark where they kind of don't care whether to grow or not, I think that's where you can make that decision of, you know, cut bait if you need to. But to, to that point point, uh, Clay, in in the statistics, they found that most, 91% of employees in the U.S. say that the last time they switched jobs, they left their company to do so for growth opportunities. You know, everybody needs to feel like they're learning or being a part of something or, or growing. And the fact that that many people that have left their current employment to pursue something that fulfills that need... Is a pretty alarming statistic. I mean, nine out of ten people that are, that are leaving us are going somewhere else to to have that need satisfied. Yeah. They say that an engaged employee, for them to, to leave to a competitor, that competitor would need to increase their salary twenty percent to get an engaged employee to leave. That, that's pretty eye opening.
1: Yeah, I, I I think we see that a lot, and and people say, well, I I. Uh, you know they pay so much more down the road and I, I always say beware beware why they're having to pay so much more down the road there's there's some things that there, there's a, a reason why that's that's masking that
2: I, I think with development the key point that I would like to remember is that that compound effect is real mm-hmm. and that those little changes you you think of a flywheel and how hard it is to get that started but once you get it going a lot of other things start to happen and it gets much easier.
1: This keeps going back to similar themes that we need to care about the progression of our people, right? We need to care about their development and and how I look at my employees uh you know that you've said a lot we train our minds to see what what they want to see. Um, what what something about you, you've talked about uh, depression and and how it's it's very common amongst lawyers and why that is. Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I also wonder if we don't probably have a lot of depression amongst some of our leaders who are so focused on every potential citation they could get that they spend their lives just pouring through records and walking in the hallways and trying to find any mistake. And it is like we train ourselves to see all the flaws and faults and everything, and it makes us feel terrible. Whereas you could do the opposite and try to see those positive things, and your job is 100% different. It's not. It doesn't even feel like the same environment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you've said that psychologists say it's it's largely because we just were trained to see the flaws and, and that, that that really affects us. And so, I mean... I've heard you say, Chase, you love your job. Oh, I love it. You love what you do. I honestly,
2: not one time have I looked at or even looked up or talked to someone about a different job in almost six years now. Not one time have I ever Mm -hmm. talked to one person. I love it.
1: Because? Is that a too hard of a question? I mean,
2: It's well, some people think my answer might be too easy, but I (laughs) love the people I'm around every single day. Like, I really just love being with them, the residents and the employees.
1: So can you tell me the story then? Uh, and, and, and we'll bring in, hopefully, Melissa's yeah. good with this. Will, will you talk to me about this about the great. the story of Melissa?
2: Yeah, so we talked about how hard it was for me to move up and start working in Idaho. What mm-hmm. we haven't talked about is how poorly it went the first year. So we moved, and I moved... I mean, we talked about how I lived in Utah, and then I moved to this new house, and then I moved to Eagle, and then I moved to Pocatello, and then I moved back to Meridian. I moved five times in 15 months. Nobody wanted (laughs) (laughs)
1: it.
2: And we joke, but it's kind of true. Like, I remember I interviewed in Utah for a building when Uh I was in AIT, and it was so bad. Like, I... It was
1: was bad, or the building was bad?
2: I think both. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was bad. But... I had someone training me, but then he had to take a new responsibility just a few months in. Mm-hmm. And then I was with an interim guy. And then they didn't have someone in Pocatello. And then I was at that building. And everyone thought I was running that building. But I didn't know how to pull up the financials mm-hmm. where they were. I didn't know how to approve an invoice in DocLink. Our
1: recorder is laughing at you too right now. I didn't know how. I, <laughs> I remember. He and I, we kept
0: in touch for a long time. And I remember calling and saying, well yeah just look in here he's like well what's that like, I didn't you six
2: months in so, man. so then I was I tried to click into the financials and I didn't even have access to them yet <laughs> so I don't even know who so was even
1: getting, I told you you could do that I did not
2: master like I totally mastered the quick connect during that first year
1: <laughs> I'm just going to go talk uh, to you numbers
2: just happened <laughs> and whatever happened happened <laughs> it obviously it didn't go too well because one day Spencer Burton shows up oh, at, boy. at Monta Vista exactly. And I knew Spencer a little bit and I was kind of wondering what he was there for and I was trying to just talk to him and pretty quickly it went into an exam. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> and he discovered, and I'm shattered he shattered
2: It was right one, of, <laughs> one of the most humiliating interviews of my life. Because it was so obvious that it was a complete train wreck. And we've all known AITs and you say all of our AITs are great now, but we have AITs and some of them we think they're gonna be amazing. Some of them we think, yeah, it could go either way. And some of them we think, how did that happen? And mine, and you can ask anyone that knows Spencer can ask him. With me, it was, what in the world
0: (laughs) happened? This has been a year. (laughs) I will say that even that kind of continued when we wanted to move him to Meadowview. There was right. a little bit of that. What do you mean? Just of like, is he the right leader? Will he be able to take on a new acquisition? You know. Well, well I'll, I'll explain, explain
1: why. All right, let's let's get, let's you know, get on, let's on get to this story. The story yeah, <laughs> um, You're still here. You're doing so, well. So, so Spencer
2: <laughs> saw quickly that I was not competent at all, up. and Montevista needed a competent leader We're at the time. Currently
1: competent. Okay.
2: So he came up with the idea we should send Chase to Hawaii, which. Was a great fit because of why he didn't really need anybody to be successful. <laughs> they literally were, are; they're, they're probably easily the most celebrated and awarded facility in the state of Idaho in the history. And the director of nursing's been there for over thirty years. So I was excited about that, but it was also really awkward because Melissa Trusdell, who was the business office manager, she was in the same AIT interviews as I was.
1: Okay. So you guys are are interviewing for the same, not the same position, but, but, you know, both trying to be leaders in the organization. Yeah. And she had been at Hawaii
2: for 15 years. Her metrics were off the charts. She also ran the building with a prior owner herself for 10 years before that. She owned and operated a, a small ALF, 15 beds. She knew everything about how to do the job pretty much. And... Somehow she got a no, and I got a yes, and so I was going to Hawaii. But it's so much worse than than just me being with Melissa because her mom is the director of nursing, and her dad is the plant manager, housekeeping laundry, one of her sister's activities, dietary. Um, The other sister was medical records.
1: So you're working with the Melissa Treesdale family. No, really, it
2: was everyone was (laughs) the same the family, except for me. And I'm wondering, okay.
1: I'll put in an HR caveat here. This is not encouraged.
2: <laughs> so I go in there <laughs> and I know immediately she's gonna realize how incompetent I am and the whole family is gonna be mm-hmm. just thinking, why in the world was he qualified for this job? And why did he get the job and not Melissa? Mm-hmm. And I thought, are they gonna just try to force me out and just prove? Because all, jo- all Georgia had to do was call and say, I am not working with this guy, get him out, and I would have been gone in 30 minutes. Um, And so I go to the building, I'm a little nervous, wondering how they're going to treat me. And I don't think there's very many people in the whole world that would do this, but the whole family treated me like I was a long-lost brother or a long-lost son of the family.
1: Hmm.
2: And from day... Day one, like Melissa completely took me under her wing and she took me, the building, the only issue with the Hawaii at the time is they'd seen a huge drop in their reimbursement. And she set up a meeting with the guy that helped build the current Medicaid system in Idaho and knew more about it than anyone for a whole day to teach us how it worked and how we could get back on track. And we got back on track within like two months and we started making money. And the next year we hit BHAG and we won the flag and they both tried telling, both Georgia and Melissa tried telling everyone that it was me and how great I was. And the truth was that they didn't need me and that they had just taken me under their wing and had helped me. And Spencer Burton also spent a lot so, of time. So, what is it
1: about Melissa? What What is it? Uh, just setting ego aside. I mean, she sounds like an owner to me. She's in, as much an owner.
2: She would do that for anybody. I mean, anyone could go in and run that building and she would do. So
1: what's best. what's the leadership principle that you're you're gathering from this?
2: My leadership principle is when Spencer came to see me at, at Monta Vista, he chose to see the few strengths that I had and said, we can work with this and took me under his wing and, and taught me the things that I needed to know. Steve might be embarrassed, but he's also helped me with every single, every day in the last five years. Like we've talked pretty much every day at work. And I've had these people that choose to see the things that I do well and try to help me manage my weaknesses and yet build up my strengths so they become strong and I can use my strengths and manage my weaknesses. But then I think of Melissa Truesdell's administrator. He should have been at those AIT interviews and he should have been there telling them, yes, maybe she has these two minor things she needs to work on, but she is incredible at this, 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 and this. Um...
1: Steve's raising I, I, his hand, I think, I think he uh, wants to say something.
0: A a principle that comes to my mind, Clay, is 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 we talk about praise and I know Chase you're you're big on that. Very powerful principle, but what I've seen as I look at somebody like yourself or Melissa that that when those around you have helped you become better, you know, metaphorically shine light on you. Light, light attracts light, and, and it's very it's a very powerful thing. What you did at Hawaii, you brought the team close together. There's no doubt about that. You had an influence on them. You get Melissa to where she was, and then you go to Meadowview and you duplicate that. And, well, and that was the most, really the
2: most fun thing that ever. Is as soon as we could be a preceptor, we got Melissa into the AIT program while she did her current job. Mm-hmm. And we got her into the AIT program. And so when Meadowview came up, I did not want to go there that badly. Mostly because I didn't know if I could handle a building that needed that much help because I'd been in Hawaii with George and Melissa. A
1: building that didn't have Melissa.
2: Just, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Just pumping my ego all day. and But I went. The biggest reason why it is because it was one of the best moments I can remember is when I got to tell Melissa... I'm going to Meadowview. Why he should have been yours long, long ago, but it finally is now. now. And I think we have so many Melissa Truesdells in our organization that people are choosing to see their faults or see their weaknesses, and they're. That's how they're. That's how they. Talk About them, they talk so, about so somebody. that's
1: what we're failing to do. Is we're yeah. failing to recognize the talent in the people that are all around us. This is this is the uh,
2: it's almost like strangers get the benefit of the doubt when we say they're really good at this and this, but they have this. And the people that we know and we have the strongest relationships we're with all day, we're defining them by their weaknesses.
1: This is the Joshua Bell story, right? In the, in the, uh, DC Metro, Joshua Bell's one of the best violinists in the world. He, this was a social experiment, I think by the the Washington post, he's playing on a, I think a 2.5 million or a $3.5 million violin in the middle of Metro station. And nobody's paying attention. He makes about $35, uh, Whereas the night before, he was selling out $100 seats at, at uh, you know, one of the great concert halls in the area. And it's this idea that, that in, in places where you're not expecting it, we tend to not perceive beauty or value. And maybe it's hidden behind titles that are not prestigious titles or whatever they may be. And if we can change how we see our employees – All of that changes. If we can learn to build – when we did the fun theory a year or two ago, I showed a video of a a city that was using these speed cameras trying to get people to stop speeding, and it wasn't doing anything. But when they changed it around and they had the cameras take pictures of people caught going the speed limit and entering them in a lottery – it it corrected largely because they were looking for the positive now and not the negative. It largely corrected the negative uh, behavior of of speeding.
2: And you know, predictably, Melissa, she is like a Jordan Bell of administrators, in my opinion.
1: Joshua she, Bell.
2: Joshua Bell. Jordan well, Michael's Bell. probably a basketball <laughs> player. <laughs> but really, she's as good as anyone I know. And predictably, the building has done. A lot better since i've left and she has been groomed for that building for 20 years and it's just so rewarding to be able to see these people it's like chip Gaines says they asked him what he loves so much about fixing up houses old houses and he said i just love to take things that others deem unworthy Mm -hmm. and make them worthy and we Mm -hmm. don't even have to do that much we just have to point them in the right direction like give them opportunities to use their strengths and then give them the opportunities to move into these positions.
1: And you're saying this is how you guys – I mean because a, a lot of Pennant Idaho is low in their turnover. Uh, Meadowview is incredible. We do have other operations uh, that – I saw one in San Antonio the other day that has gone from – I think something like 120% to the high 20% in their turnover. I mean, we have certain operations that are embracing customer second, and we're starting to see the results. Before we end this podcast, what what are the things that you want to make sure every coach, every leader out there understands? I know I'm asking you to encapsulate. You probably have a thousand different things still. What is it that you still want to make sure they understand so that they can really hug them and hold them with their people
0: you want to go first or you want me to yeah uh, yeah i'll go first and you, and you can finish chase i think i think the number one thing is that if every employee knows somebody is invested in their development mm-hmm. that that's a principle i don't think we spend a ton of time on but It's in that study, and and they mention in there that if you can get 60% of your staff to answer a strong yes on that, and that is a 5 out of 5, not a 4 out of 5.
1: That somebody is invested in their development. That
0: someone is invested in their development. And we actually ask that question quarterly. Our HR rep does stay surveys at all of our facilities. Because
1: you want to know. know what they think. We want to know. You're obsessed about this.
0: Correct. Correct. So I, th- I think that would be a principle as a, as a leader, not only in yourself, who are you invested in, in your sphere, but how are you helping those in your sphere that have people that are, are you know, in their realm, developing them to do those same things. I, I think the, and then the second thing I, that has just stuck out to me time and time again is that feeling, you know, Chase talks about warmth. How, how am I making our people feel? Every interaction I have, what, what what i'm anticipating the feeling that they're having and i think those are some principles as a leader as you approach your people do they know you're invested in their development do they know you care about how they feel mm-hmm. those two things if you can figure that out i think you're on the right track and you'll really move the needle
1: and as a leader you have to know that you do have an effect on how they Absolutely. feel how you whether or not you're saying anything just how you are in meetings how you how present you are with them yep. i like that i
2: think What I would leave with is what Steve said I completely agree with. I think that there's a lot of different ways to do this, and we've shared some of the things we've done that have worked. There's a quote I love by Simon Sinek, and I think if we can get to this point, most of the other things will work themselves out. I'm going to read it real quick. He says, we call them leaders because they go first, because they will take the risk before anyone else. We call them leaders because they will choose to sacrifice so their people may gain. And when we do, the natural response is that our people will sacrifice for us. They will give us their sweat and blood and tears to see their vision, their leader's vision come to life. And when we ask them, why would you do that? Why would you give your blood and sweat and tears for that person? They all say the same thing because they would have done it for me. And I think if we can just, if our employees know that they come first, and that we would do anything we can for them, they're going to reciprocate it. And we're not doing that because we want it reciprocated, but it's going to happen. And they're going to do everything they can to make sure that we all are successful together.
1: I, I uh, This has been great. I appreciate your time. I, I think sometimes we think that we are customer second, uh, but hopefully, as we've listened to this podcast, we, we you know we come to realize that there are so many things that we need to do better in how we see our people. Again, the best leaders I know find fewer things to focus on, and then they obsess over those things. I'm hoping every leader, every person that has an opportunity to coach others. Uh, listens to this and decides that they are going to obsess about being customer second and what customer second really means. They're going to become obsessed over over developing their people and caring about how they feel and doing right by them. Uh, And I I just think it will be magical what we'll be able to see in in the operation. So appreciate your guys' time coming in and talking about these things and uh, and just really grateful that, that we have a chance to be a part of an affiliation that pushes so hard to be customer second. Thanks, guys. Thanks
0: for having us.